As we open God's word now, we'll do so first from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 23, read verses 44 through 49 on the death of Christ, Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 44, it says, it was now about the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. I will also read from Psalm 31, as our text, which Christ quotes in verse 46 as his dying words. Psalm 31, a psalm of David, which the superscription tells us is written to the choir master. David says, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul. You have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. 
Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Beloved, this is one of those psalms that we call a psalm of lament where God in his kindness and in his mercy um, gives us words to cry out to him. We feel overwhelmed. It sounds a lot like uh, Psalm 22, actually. If you compare these two psalms, Psalm 31 and and Psalm 22, you, you find in both of them extreme anguish, loneliness, having been abandoned by by others, being forgotten by men, you find in both strength that the psalmist said is dried up, weeping, and bones wasting away. And both of these psalms will also be taken upon the lips of our Lord Jesus. Both, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus quotes as as two of his seven words from the cross, reminding us that our king of glory is no stranger to sorrow. But as Bonhoeffer said of these psalms of lament, they speak of Christ. These psalms pray concerning the one who who took upon himself all our disease and, and bore our infirmities. They proclaim Christ to be the only help in suffering, for in him God is with us. The beautiful thing about the psalms of lament is that they not only give us words with which to cry out to God in our anguish, but those words also point us to our sympathetic high priest. We hear in these psalms the cries and groans of our Savior, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, wading through floods of sorrow for our sake, and and thus giving us a sympathetic ear in heaven who prays with us. That's what we have in Psalm 31, which our New Testament reading places on the lips of Jesus in such a way that that not only are we to think of this verse as as sort of cherry-picked out of of the psalm to, to fit Christ, But the whole psalm is the voice of Jesus, whose sufferings and glory are prefigured in this psalm. It's like a page taken from the diary of our Savior, giving us a peek into his inner emotional life in the hour of his passion, and thus comforting us with the knowledge that he has felt the feeling of our infirmities. With me first at the king's cry. He's asking for God to rescue him speedily and not put him to shame, those, those first two verses, but rather to lead him and guide him for his name's sake. Sounds a bit like Psalm 23. He, he leads me in paths 
of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The king is picking up those same words in this psalm because he's in that same valley. I'm trapped by the net that his enemies have hidden for him, verse 4, as they plot to kill him. But he entrusts himself to God. Unlike his enemies who, who pay regard to worthless idols, he trusts in the Lord in the midst of his affliction. Which he speaks in verse 7, saying, You have seen my affliction and you have known the distress of my soul. Again, this is a distress that David felt, but that Christ our Lord entered into also. As we come to verses 9 through 13, the the, the heart of David's cry of distress, we see the depth of the soul anguish into which our Lord entered. His eye wasted away with grief. As he was filled with tears, it says that his body and, and soul also, his life was spent with sorrow and his strength failed him while his bones wasted away. Because of all his adversaries, he has become a reproach, he says, especially to his neighbors and an object of dread to his acquaintances. For those who see him in the street, they flee from him. He is forgotten like one who's dead and has become like a broken vessel. For he hears the, the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against him and plot to take his life. Well, but I want you to, to think about the fact that Jesus took this psalm on his lips in his dying hour. Of all the psalms that he could have picked, He picks the one whose center is one long wail of sorrow. In fact, he picks two of them. Both of of the psalms that he quotes on the cross are are psalms of almost unparalleled suffering that that sound in many ways like Job. He's become an, an embarrassment to his friends. Those who see him in the street flee from him. It sounds like Job chapter 30. Where Job, that suffering servant, says, I have become a byword among men. They keep aloof from me. Terrors are are turned upon me, and my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. And the reason why these passages sound so much alike is because both Job and David are part of a long line of suffering servants who point to Jesus Christ whose body and soul were wasted with grief, his eyes filled with those tears of verse 9, as wicked men plot to take his life and his own friends desert him or, or fall asleep in his hour of greatest need. Who verse 10, his life is spent with sorrow and his years with sighing. As we confess in Lord's Days 15 and 16, during his whole life on earth, Christ suffered unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We see that in this psalm. That not just in his passion, but during his whole life on earth, Christ knew sorrow. My life is spent with sorrow, he says, and my years with sighing. And yet there was a special sense in which Christ knew sorrow in his hour of passion because then, as we confess in Lord's Day 15, he sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. 
which we see in verse 10, where the man of sorrows um, tells us that his strength fails him because of his iniquity. As Christ took this psalm on his lips, he was not confessing his own sin, but he was becoming sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, he was numbered with transgressors. Christ took our sins upon himself such that that he identifies it as his own, for which reason he suffers. He is feeling the heavy hand of the wrath of God upon him, of which he spoke in Psalm 30, verse 5, because he makes our sin his own. And so the Father gives him over to those persecutors of verse 15, the false witnesses in verse 18, who speak insolently against him in pride and contempt with their lying lips and their, their evil tongues in verse 20. Here we're reminded of, of the false witnesses who rose up against Christ at his trial. We see them conspiring against him in verse 13, lying about him in verse 18 and verse 20. And so he says in his alarm, I've been cut off. Even feels like he's been cut off from God's sight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 31 takes us into the depths of, of anguish that our Savior felt in his hour of passion. One writer said, in this psalm, we, we enter into these sentiments and thoughts of Jesus in his suffering. We, we see the passion from the inside, as it were. Where the Gospels, like Luke 23 that we read from a moment ago, they, they give us the historical details of his passion. But the psalms open up his heart to us in those moments of his suffering. That's what a psalm like Psalm 69 or, or Psalm 22 or, or Psalm 31 does. Professor Barry York has has said they they are the the diary of Christ, opening up to us the inner emotional life of our Lord at these key moments in his life. And and by studying them and and praying them and, and singing them, we enter into his suffering and we feel something in the heart of our Lord Jesus and are reminded that we have a Savior who wept. That's ultimately what Psalm 31 reminds us, that we have a Savior who wept. And so as you share in his sufferings throughout this life, as you face difficulties and pain, as you perhaps mourn the loss of loved ones or or say goodbye, as you feel immense pain either physically or, or emotionally, look to your suffering Savior, hear his groans. Archibald Alexander of Princeton, writing to a mourning widow many years ago, he, he said, I know of no consideration that is more effectual to, to reconcile us to bear with submission our heaviest afflictions than the contemplation of our divine Redeemer wading through floods of sorrow for our sake. As we listen in on the cries of our King, God means by them to bear us up. To teach us that our suffering Savior is not untouched by the feeling of our infirmities, but he knows what you feel. The Psalms of Christ's suffering are meant to comfort us in the midst of our suffering. And yet that's not the only thing that they're meant to do. But they're also meant to to lift our eyes above the suffering to the glory 
that awaits us. You remember how we, we saw that on, on Thanksgiving from Psalm 30. The weeping lasts for the night. That, that's a, an affirmation and an admission of the real sorrow that we feel in this life. The weeping lasts for the night. The psalmist said, yet says joy comes in the morning. And so in this psalm, God means also to lift our gaze to the joy of resurrection. I want you to notice now not just the cry of our king, but also his confidence. We see it in those opening verses where he says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Um, he, he really believes that God will save him. And says, You are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me. You are my refuge. And so into your hand I commit my spirit. When David said those words, he was trusting that God would redeem him. He was saying, I entrust myself to you. And then if you look at those very next words, right after he says, into your hands I commit my spirit, he says, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And when Christ takes this, psalms on his lips, this psalm on his lips, he doesn't, doesn't change the meaning. But just as those words, when first spoken by David, were an affirmation of trust that God would save him from death, so Christ uses these words to affirm that his death was not the end, but that his heavenly father would raise him from it. Whenever the New Testament quotes from, from the old, it's a, a sort of window into not just that one phrase that's quoted, but the whole context of the passage. And so when Jesus quotes Psalm 31, verse 5, he is well aware that the very next words right after that are words of redemption. So Klaus Skilder rightly says that these words spoken just before our Savior's death are an affirmation of life. Christ's last statement from the cross is not a dying utterance, but a word of life. It is not the dull sound of death, but the sonorous song of life. His enemies think that they have put him to death, that they have defeated him, but Christ acts as though they did not exist and calmly and peacefully says his evening prayer, falling asleep until tomorrow, the day of resurrection, trusting that his faithful God will redeem him. Dr. DeVisser points out that, that even that word father with which Christ prefaces his quotation of verse 5 indicates that, that he did not use these words to, to say, I give up or, or I'm done. But he spoke these words as an expression of trust in his father. It is a powerful declaration of his belief in the resurrection. It is an affirmation of uninterrupted life. The final word from the cross was a declaration of hope, not a cry of despair. Jesus did not give up, he offered up. He did not surrender to fate, but he committed himself in faith. His life did not end with a note of resignation, but the hope of resurrection. Not with a sigh of relief, but a prayer of assurance. That, that continues on in verses 7 and 8, where he rejoices in, in the steadfast love of the one who has seen his affliction and places his feet in a broad place. His God, verse 14, in whom he trusts. 
that his times are in his hand and he will rescue him from the hand of his persecutors. Verse 15 is an affirmation that even though he has been given into the hands of lawless men, he is yet in God's hands. Who will make his face to shine upon him in his steadfast love. Um, even amidst the darkness of Golgotha, Christ believes that the dark hour of his passion will give way to the brightness of the glory of his Father, whose face will shine upon him, who will not let him be put to shame, but rather, verse 17, will put his enemies to shame. They will go silently to Sheol, while the one who appears to be cursed by God has abundant goodness stored up for him, in verse 19. This whole psalm is an affirmation of assurance in the midst of a cry of affliction. Verses 21 and 22 capture it well. Though in a besieged city, God will wondrously show him steadfast love. And though in his alarm he said, I am cut off from God's sight, God hears the voice of his pleas and his his cries for mercy and helps. And so even as you behold the tears of the dying Christ, as you hear the groans of your King of glory, don't miss the fact that those cries are also cries of hope. The same is true, by the way, in in Psalm 22 also, and in in Psalm 69. These these, uh, psalms that that speak especially of, of the suffering of the dying Christ speak at the same time the hope of resurrection glory. Psalm 31, like those psalms, gives us a window into the heart of the crucified Christ, but also the resurrected Christ, who means for us to have this same confidence in the suffering in which we share. As he calls out to us in verse 23 and commends to us his trust in the resurrection as an example to all you, his saints. Verse 23, those words that we heard in in our our call to worship, it is the the link from Christ to us. We're flowing out of his confession that when he said, I am cut off from your sight, God heard the voice of his pleas for mercy and saved. Flowing out of that is the the call, even the command given to the people of God, the, the subjects of the king to likewise trust that God will preserve the faithful. Actually, that word for saints in verse 23, you you might see it in the footnote in your Bible. It's the same Hebrew word from Psalm 30, verse 4, that I said last week is is the plural form of of the recipients of God's hesed covenant love. That word that comes up so often in the Psalms, hesed, God's covenant love or, or covenant faithfulness. Um, even as the king will, will sometimes refer to himself as God's Hasid, his, his covenant one, the recipient of God's faithful, steadfast covenant love. I'm here that the faithful subjects of the king are called God's Hasidim, his covenant ones, under the king with whom he's covenanted. I'm here that the people of the king are summoned to have the same faith as the king. For as it goes with the king, so it goes with the king's people. And so here in these last two verses, we are invited to pray this prayer as as the voice of Christ becomes our own. Where yes, we share with him in this life in suffering, but we do so trusting that the Lord preserves the faithful and abundantly repays those who act 
in pride. And so we're, we're told to be strong and let our hearts take courage as we wait for the God of resurrection. The same one into whose hands Christ committed his spirit, so we are called to do the same. And can therefore make every line of this prayer our prayer in Christ. We see this actually as, as we move further on into the New Testament, where not only does Jesus take this prayer on his lips, but also his faithful subjects like Stephen in Acts 7, who has the very same ones who condemned Christ to death, gnash their teeth at him and, and stone him, he says with the same quiet trust as his Savior, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen takes Psalm 31.5 on his lips because he recognized that his was a sharing in the suffering of Christ. But at the same time, he trusted that he would also share in the resurrection glory of Christ. He had heard the king's call in those last two verses of this psalm to make the, the prayer of the king his, and so he did. By the way, he's not the only one who has uh, died with those, those words on his lips throughout church history. Many other martyrs, John Haas, as he was burned at the stake, he took these same words on his lips, Lord Jesus, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Haas and, and, and Stephen in Acts chapter 7, they, they understood what the king is, is inviting us into in verses 23 and 24, to make this prayer of the king ours, to have his same assurance and trust even as we face death. And God has given us a gift in this psalm so that as we share in the sufferings of our Savior, we are given words with which to, to voice our anguish. Like verses 9 through 13 where God, by his grace, gives us those words with which we're able to confess to God that, that we are in distress, that our eyes are wasted away from grief and our strength fails us, our life is spent with sorrow. For some of you, this well summarizes what, what you feel, whether it be with chronic pain and, and illness or loneliness and anguish, relational strain and sorrow, God gives you a psalm like Psalm 31 so that even when you know not what to pray, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit might intercede for you with the groans that, that the Spirit-inspired uh, psalmist has given to us. When you feel like you've, you are forgotten, like one who's dead and have become like a broken vessel. You feel so lonely that you've become an object of dread, your acquaintances, and forgotten by your friends. God gives you a psalm like Psalm 31 to voice that to him. And he gives it to us not just as a, a sort of, of cathartic expression of grief, but also that, that he might direct your grief to the hope of Christ in verse 5 or in verse 15. That your times, even these times, are in his hands. And even when it feels like you were in your enemy's hand, you are ultimately in God's hand who will hear your plea for mercy. And whether in this life or the next, he will make his face to shine upon you and deliver you. As this psalm teaches you even to die with the hope of resurrection glory. 
Into your hands I commit my spirit, trusting that you'll redeem me, O faithful God and Father. The psalm teaches us even how to face death, how to face all the sufferings of this life in which we share in Christ with, with the confidence that our times are in God's hand to redeem us, but also how to face even that last enemy, death. It's J.C. Ryle says of Christ's dying words in verse 5, these supply a lesson to all true Christians. They show us the manner in which death should be met by all God's children. They afford an example which every believer should strive to follow. Like our master, we should not be afraid to confront the king of terrors, but regard him as a vanquished enemy whose sting has been taken away by Christ's death. We should think of him as a foe who can hurt the body for a little season, but after that has no more he can do. We should await his approaches with the calmness and patience and believe that when flesh fails, our soul will be in good keeping. Like Christ, we pray our evening prayer awaiting the new day of resurrection. Psalm 31 shows us how to share with Christ in suffering in this life and even in death with the hope of the same resurrection glory being ours. We need psalms like this because they teach us how to lament, they teach us how to suffer, they they teach us the lesson of Acts 14, verse 22, that, that we should expect many trials and tribulations on our way into the kingdom. They teach us to expect that, but then give us words to cry out to God in the midst of that. They teach us how to lament, how to suffer, even how to die. And so we need to sing them. I was thinking of the words of of Carl Truman. Uh, Many years ago, he wrote a a little article uh, lamenting the fact that in so much of modern worship, um, psalms of death like this, psalms of, of suffering, have been evacuated from God's sanctuary as if we only need to sing happy songs of praise. But we need psalms like this too. And Spurgeon makes the point that even the, the superscription which tells us that this psalm was, was written to the choir master shows us that this song of mingled measures and alternate strains of grief and woe was meant for public worship. And he says, thus a death blow is given to the notion that nothing but praise should be sung. God gives us psalms like this because he knows the shape of the Christian life and he knows that we all must face death and he wants to prepare us. So learn this psalm that Christ's quiet confidence as he faced death might also be yours. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, We thank you for this psalm wherein we enter into the suffering of Christ to see it from the inside and hear his cries of anguish. We thank you for how in those cries of anguish we are assured that we do not have an unsympathetic ear in heaven, but one who has very much felt the feeling of our infirmities, who prays with us. It also assures us that the same resurrection and redemption that belong to him belong also to us. 
so that we can even die with the same quiet confidence of our king that death's sting has been taken away. Though it is a foe who can hurt the body for a little while, after that there is no more it can do. But when our flesh fails us, our soul will be in good keeping and our Lord Jesus will receive our spirit. And that's why we can trust you as the psalmist here does. Lord, help us to do that by faith and help us to learn these sad songs of Zion that we might be ready to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.